Week two of the NFL is upon us. Vikings at Eagles in primetime Thursday. We've got a doubleheader from Monday Night Football. Potential shootout between the Chiefs and the Jags. This week's going to be a fun one, and I am ready to claw back after a rough week one. It's time for us to look ahead. All right, I'm going to discuss the Thursday Night Football game. My top games to target for DFS and Rainmakers, and we'll have a little fun as I go through each round of the draft. And I'm going to give what I believe are the worst picks of each round. Given some explanations for each, we've got a ton to discuss. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show. It is great to have you. It is Thursday, and uh, if you missed the earlier recording, the earlier pod from earlier this week on Monday, I did a recap. I talked through previously, you know, how my week on DraftKings went from cash to tourneys. Talked through uh, some of the edge that I found in Superflex that I'm going to continue forward for this week. A little Rainmaker strategy, and then I gave team-by-team breakdowns of everything that I think matters and things we should be monitoring going forward. So if you missed that, go ahead and check that out. But for today... It is time to dive in. We've got an exciting Thursday night football game, Vikings at Eagles. Let's start off with the Eagles running backs. No Kenneth Gainwell after getting that strong usage, primary starter usage last week, has some rim injuries. Perhaps we're going to get test my theory that Rashad Penny has lost that burst. We, uh, we'll see, you know, there's going to be DeAndre Swift, Rashad Penny, Boston Scott, maybe a mix of all three. I'm really not sure what to expect, but uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that there is a non-zero chance that Rashad Penny, um, he's been a speed player and uh, this injury may be lingering. It may just be ages caught up to him. He's not that old, but uh, from what I saw in preseason, what I'm kind of hypothesizing with why he was that healthy scratch is I think he's just lost that burst. And if he doesn't have that burst, he's really a below, he then becomes a below average runner, below average running back. So uh, it is going to be interesting to see what happens in this game. In my take, I mean, overall, I just think that like, A, Boston Scott's going to continue to be a thorn, not a fantasy play, but he's going to hurt the other two. And uh, overall, I just think the running back role for the Eagles is just not that valuable. We saw what Miles Sanders did last year, but it was valuable because we were getting him so late and he was consistently kind of the guy. Um, you know, Gainwell and Boston Scott played minor, minor roles, but Sanders was that kind of more every down back. Um, but when you're getting goal line touches taken by Jalen Hurts, when Jalen Hurts is not throwing that much to running backs, it's just not that valuable. We can obviously have some spike games and, uh, the best case scenario is when you have someone like Kenneth Gainwell down where it gives the opportunity for if they do want to trust and actually use full workload for DeAndre Swift or Rashad Penny or such. Um, but I'm not optimistic here. I uh, Overall, for me, if I'm playing some showdown, I'm probably staying off the chalk for those running backs and kind of looking elsewhere. On the Viking side, I think this is going to be a bit of a coming out party on national TV. The question is, whether that's going to be for Jordan Addison or Alexander Madison. I think it's possible for both. We do know that that Eagles defense is still pretty staunch, and uh, the Vikings offensive line struggled from a run game against the Buccaneers. Now, I do think this Buccaneers, when healthy, does have a very good defensive line and uh, run blocking, and so that did hurt, but uh, we saw the usage from Madison both in the run game and in the passing game, so it's possible for both. Jordan Addison looked great in week one, but he still played substantially fewer snaps than KJ Osborne. Now, will that, you know, will that gradually increase? I think so. Could this be the game that like he surpasses Osborne? I think it's unlikely, 
but what he's doing on his routes, what he's doing on his snaps is more valuable. He looked really good last week. So could this be a coming out for either of those two? I think so. We'll look back and be like, all right, Addison is definitely surpassing, or maybe it is like, hey, Madison, maybe we should have been drafting him more often because he truly is that workhorse back there. And then the other noteworthy one with this game is, I think, from a tight ends perspective, um, both teams have great tight ends on the Eagles side. Dallas Goddard had zero catches in that week one, but coaches were saying we need to get Dallas Goddard the ball. The, the ball. We saw in a couple games last year where when Philadelphia thought they had a tight end mismatch, they fed Dallas Goddard early and often. Um, trying to think, like, will this be kind of a uh, squeaky wheel situation where they know that, hey, they didn't feed him week one. Maybe that's something they want to get him more in the passing game. Um, if you're looking at some Goddard bets for like on a prop side, I like going Goddard over for the first half such first half stuff, first quarter stuff, because I think if this theory is right, then it will be early in the game that it's like, okay, we want to get Goddard involved. So if you see, see opportunities for yards or catches for Goddard in the first quarter, first half, I like those overs. And then on the Hawkinson side, Hawkinson didn't do much with his work last week, but he's still a core part of that offense, still running routes on majority on almost all the plays. So uh, I think those bigger games will come. Could see either tight end having strong games this week. All right. Before we get to my favorite games for the week, and that's what I'm going to do a lot on Thursday is focus on like where I think there are opportunities for us to kind of uh, find leverage, maybe go against the grain, but uh, still see some kind of high ceiling, uh, high ceiling opportunities. We're going to have a little fun. And uh, I put on Twitter previous this week, I'm going to go round on, round by round of what I think are kind of as we look back now with the information we know now, what were the worst picks? for each round and give some thoughts on each. And uh, so let's give some context here. These definitely include my pre-draft opinions. It'd be absurd if I'm going to just completely ignore everything I thought from before the draft. So yes, those are incorporated. Also, this includes what we learned from week one, but it's not purely based off those results. So, uh, you know, raw fantasy points, if you fell in the end zone, like those are less impactful for me than things like snap share or routes rend or things that we expect have trending usage. If a rookie did more in week one than I expected him to, that's a promising thing for him, him and it's probably a bad thing for the um, incumbent starter. So uh, things to come up with there. And the last one is, yes, obviously this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's fun to immediately look back at the draft, get a feeling for how we're feeling about these various picks. Let's dive in. Round one, uh, this is a tough one. Cooper Cup, um, you know, unfortunate with the injury aspect. Hopefully he comes back week five. There is actually some promising aspects here where that Rams offense looked really strong. Uh, what McVay was kind of doing around the line of scrimmage, putting Tutu Atwell in some quick motion to get him off the line uh, in space. We saw Puka and what Puka was able to do in Cooper Cup's replacement with those 15 targets, earning absurd kind of target uh, target share there. So I am optimistic that if Cooper Cup comes back, that there's going to be you know a desire for him to kind of contribute because this team actually might be pretty decent. Um, but I am still concerned. And hey, anytime you're missing the first four games as a first round pick, like it's just too much. So Cooper Cup, first one. Second. Round two, worst pick for me is Derrick Henry. Now, a lot of people who like the Derrick Henry, who are the old school, maybe you're a boomer, you've got your bags packed with Derrick Henry. You're like, oh, he's still out. You know, if you look at how many his touches, he's still got his workload. This was an ugly game, blah, blah, blah. Here's what it comes down to for me. You have a rookie in Tajay Spears who outsnapped Derrick Henry. He also ran 2x as many routes. 
When you draft Derrick Henry in the second round, you need the upside that he has a chance to be a top two, top three running back. That's what you're drafting for in the second round. For Derrick Henry to hit that, one of two things needed to happen. One is he needs to have insanely high usage, like he was on target for last year, was on target for like 460 touches. Um, to you know, That's the type of usage that we need for him to actually break through, be one of those top ones, because he doesn't get that much passing work. Or he actually increases his passing work. Last year, we saw signs that that was possible. He started seeing his largest targets per game in his career. Um, and if that would continue to trend upwards and he's used more in the past game, then that is his other opportunity to transcend and become a top two, top three running back. The challenge is, is when you have a rookie who we know that they liked, he's looked good in the preseason. There's been comments that this is the um, complimentary back that Derrick Henry has ever had in his career. And then in week one, Ty J Spears out snaps him and runs two X as many routes in week one. That is not good for Derrick Henry. And uh, if you're believing anything else, then you have rosy colored glasses on for Derrick Henry. He can still be an okay pick. He can still be a top 10, a top seven, whatever running back. But that upside is completely capped as long as Ty J Spears is healthy. Round three, another controversial one, Ramondre Stevenson. So, Let's start off. For starters, could Ramondre still be a good pick? Sure. But here's why he's on my list. One, I think he was initially overdrafted as a third rounder. I think people kind of um, just expected that he had the chance to be like a workhorse and we're not accounting for all of the words, all the verbiage that we were hearing from coaches that they didn't want that. And so two, his week one raw numbers, they're inflated. If you look, they ran 80 snaps. That was near the first. I think it was T1 on the week for overall teams. And if you compare that to last year, they averaged 20 fewer snaps per game. They were bottom five in the league. We expect that to regress back to their normal pace. And uh, three, Zeke looks to be a concern going forward with these high value touches. Zeke had seven targets, one red zone carry. Now, could this Zeke usage be because Ramondre was sick the past, you know, the few days before? Sure, it's possible. Could it also be that Zeke usage was low because he's new to this team? Yes, also possible. The takeaway for me, though, is that the concern of Zeke getting into Ramondre's high-value touches, it seems to be real. Seven targets is a lot. And for a player I already thought was being overdrafted, this confirms what we're hearing from the coaches. It's concerning for his upside. Same thing if you're drafting in the third round for a running back. You want him to have that elite upside. And if you look at the other running backs that are drafted in the third round, Brees Hall, we know he has that upside. He looked fantastic in that game. Someone like Travis Etienne, who uh, has been getting absurd, uh, who, who got a substantial amount of routes. He may actually be using the passing game. Josh Jacobs got so much of the volume as the running back. He's got no other competition. Like those guys, even if they may be less talented than Ramondre, you can make that judgment, but they have the ability to actually have that elite upside that we're looking for in round three. All right, let's move forward. Round four, Drake London. Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't want anything to do with the Atlanta Falcons passing game. Arthur Smith, if he has his way, those guys aren't even seeing uh, the field pass five yards blocking. And so uh, round four is just way too high for him. DJ Moore is the honorable mention here, which it seems like, you know, there's going to be some troubles there. Um, but Drake London, I mean, gosh, Atlanta passing game, just keep me away, away from Round five, Damian Pierce. Round five overall, if you looked at who was drafted there, was pretty decent. There wasn't any kind of real core standout one. Um, but for the Damian Pierce, the, what concerned us is the 
change in what our hopes were in the preseason and what we saw on the field. In the preseason, we were hopeful that he was going to get more of that third down work, that he was going to be more of a workhorse. What we saw is that Devin Singletary did play a good amount, and then Mike Boone actually was running substantial routes. Now, yes, this did happen a little more kind of closer to the fourth quarter and such. They were down in that game, so maybe there's arguments to believe that, hey, the Mike Boone was really just uh, – because they were, you know, and close to garbage time. I'm not sure, but what is clear is that Damian Pierce is not a workhorse. Also, that team is going to have some just overall challenges. CJ Stroud looked pretty decent. There were promising things, but the team is still going to struggle. So round five, Damian Pierce, but that's to say, hey, round five was also a difficult round. Um, no true complete duds there. Round six, this is a sad one, unfortunate. J.K. Dobbins with the injury out for the season. Um, no, it was not bad process to draft J.K. Dobbins, but if we're just looking at like, hey, how you drafted and how it's looking going forward, obviously you don't want J.K. Dobbins on your team. Round seven, Cam Akers. Holy crap, Cam Akers. What happened here? We knew how much the coaches like Kyron Williams. We saw last year, there was the Adam Schefter situation where Adam Schefter was like, hey, I'm actually starting Kyron Williams. I believe that like the team actually likes him as they're starting as they're starting running back. Then on the first play or early play of the game, he got hurt from a special teams play and we didn't see him anymore. And uh, so that was last year. So we knew they was least in their favor. Then this year in the preseason, Kyron Williams and Cam Akers sat out every single game of the preseason, giving us confidence that those are the two guys. I We knew that. But still, was expecting Cam Akers to at least be the 1A. Maybe Cam Akers early down, Kyron Williams more passed down. But that was not the case. To start the game, Kyron had basically the entire work. Cam Akers' work didn't come until later in the game in garbage time when the Rams were already substantially up. So now in the round seven, you're talking about basically having the handcuff back up. Not even, I don't want to call it a 1B. He's the number two according to that one. According to that week one. Uh, not good. Not good for Cam Akers. Round eight, DeAndre Swift. Um, now, we're recording this. I just mentioned earlier, like Kenneth Gainwell is hurt. Yes, we know that. DeAndre Swift might get hit, might get his chance tonight. That's possible. But when we're talking about a season outlook, what we learned in week one is that Kenneth Gainwell is the no is the is the running back. He's I don't know. There's no one A. There's no split here. Kenneth Gainwell is their guy. Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch. DeAndre Swift had minimal usage in that game, and so. Yes, Kenneth Gainwell has his rib injury. Will most likely be back after the 10-day rest for next week. But um, if you're drafting round eight, you were hoping DeAndre Swift was going to have at least a pass-catching role and then also hopefully getting something like six to eight carries a game. Um, that is not what we saw. So round eight, DeAndre Swift. Um, anything still possible, especially with injuries, but not good. Look, not looking good for him. Round nine. Uh, this was a tough one. It was between two Kansas City wide receivers and uh, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. And I'm happy to just say like it's a wash for both of them. Um, there's negatives for both. And uh, maybe there's a little optimism for actually Tony. I'm not sure. But uh, with the Sky Moore situation, um, we may just have to like call, you know, hey, put a stake in it. Like he, he might be done. Um, if you it is very rare that rookies after they have a year one like he had. Um, are able to produce. And so we already know that's going against him where we were willing in the offseason to give him some credit saying like, hey, Andy Reid style offense is really confusing. Coming from a smaller school like he did, maybe it just takes an extra year. They needed someone. They wanted someone. But like, no, did not look good. Did not get the usage. I think we need to kind of consider and change our expectations there. From a Kadarius Tony, like how can you leave that week one having any level of confidence? He had literally 
I think from an EPA, one of the worst games we've seen from a wide receiver. Um, didn't you know? Didn't actually play that much, and when he did play, was literally more detrimental to the team than like if a wide receiver just didn't show up. Um, like when you include that pick six. So for the Kadarius Tony situation, like the only positive, the one positive thing that we can look at going forward is that when he was in the field and the minimal usage, he was seeing substantial, um, substantial targets and usage, and so he has that talent from an actually getting open. You saw all these. <laughs> why they look so bad his drops is because he was so open there was no contesting of the catch or anything so like maybe he gets it right and like it's a mental thing um and the team wants to use him as a kind of uh you know hey <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to say alpha wide receiver but it's a little more than a gadget but like someone that they can actually hey get open in um in important spots but yeah i mean you're also going to lose patrick mahomes's favor if games like that happen so Round nine, though, still way too rich for him. Worst pick, round nine. Either Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony. Round 10, we now have another other injury situation. Unfortunately, we have the Aaron Rodgers. Um, sad, sad to see. Well, only four snaps into the game, into his New York Jets career. But uh, obviously, can't be drafting someone that's not going to play for you. Again, not bad process, but uh, unfortunate result. Round 11, Rashad Penny. Healthy scratch in week one. Is there a chance that this is because he's injured? I guess, but like it can't be too serious because they would have put him on pup. Um, I think more likely, as I said, like my my hypothesis is that Rashad Penny just lost that burst and he doesn't have it anymore, and the team knows that, and uh, he's number four on that depth chart behind Austin Scott. Even now, we'll see in the Thursday night game what role he has. But at the end of the day, with the information we know, when Kenneth Gainwell is healthy, like this is a this is a healthy scratch for a round eleven guy. We do not like to see that. Round 12, Van Jefferson. With the Van Jefferson situation, we knew, I mean, hey, going in, he had a great opportunity. Cooper Cup is out. He's the veteran on that team. He's the one that, you know, should be able to depend on. And then you have Tutu and Puka, who absolutely dominated, looked fantastic. And so if you were, you know, holding up, if you're if you're drafting on Jefferson, you were doing it in hopes that he was going to increase his role and become like a core part of that offense in Cooper Cup's absence. That is not the case. Um, I think we can expect that like Van Jefferson is droppable in all leagues is not going to be startable in any kind of format DFS. Otherwise um, it is what it is. Round 13, Cole Kmet. This is an interesting one because if you just look at his usage in week one, it was actually pretty strong. Um, he, I think he had, uh, he had second most targets on the team, um, did pretty well with them. But for me, it just comes to, he was such an overvalued pick in round 13 to begin with on a team that like I'm taking more of a macro approach to this. And that's why I don't want to overweight week one in his usage, because I think overall I'm still very low on the Chicago passing game. Justin Fields did not look good. They did not allow him to throw it more than 10 yards downfield. I think this offense is going to continue to struggle, um, especially from a passing game standpoint. And then you have Cole Komet, who's drafted in round 13 when there were so many other stronger tight ends that were being drafted later than him. Um, and so I think when you just combined all those priors, combine how bad Chicago looked um, from a passing game, and I think that this week one, his usage, if anything, was a bit more of an anomaly. Um, and overall, like I like a lot more tight ends. Tight ends are being drafted, being drafted after him stronger. So uh, round 13, Cole Komet. Round 14, Isaiah Hodgins. I'm going to go through the last ones pretty quickly as, you know, hey, these are later picks, not as important. But Isaiah Hodgins, this is more of he was being overdrafted due to his role. Darius Slayton plays a larger role, um, a, a larger actual usage than 
um, Isaiah Hodgins. And I think Isaiah Hodgins is actually going to decrease as you have guys like Wondell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt coming up to speed. Um, and that offensive line for Giants looks so bad. I'm willing to give them credit. Cowboys front, Cowboys front seven is fantastic. They're going to be one of those kind of three or four defenses that really matter this year. So not going to completely throw away the Giants offense. But when you combine that, hey, he was already overdrafted. His role is not an every down player. Um, and how bad that offensive line looked, all three of those together. Round 15, Jeff Wilson. Um, this is, yes, obviously there's the injury aspect. Does he come back in week five, like his agent is saying? It's possible, but even if he does, gosh, I don't want anything to do with this Miami backfield right now. Uh, it is clear this team does no has no interest in running the ball. Raheem Mostert had the whole backfield to himself and was basically worthless from a fantasy standpoint. This team can throw, will throw, and so even if Jeff Wilson comes back healthy, it turns into a two-headed, three-headed backfield for a team that doesn't want to run the ball. Uh, no thanks. Round 16, Hunter Renfro. Oh, gosh. I mean, we expected like this, to, you know, him to have a kind of role, expecting to be that wide receiver three. Ended up with zero targets on the day. Um, this was an extremely concentrated target share, as I talked about last week. If you look at the breakdown between um, what Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, I think it was 19 of 26, and around like 73% of the targets went through them. Josh Jacobs was the only other person to get more than one target in that offense, and he got three. Um, so, with this Jacoby Myers concussion situation, maybe Renfro we see more this week. It'll be interesting, but overall, uh, not great when your guy basically played, I think he played around 10%, maybe under 10% of the snaps um, and got zero targets. Round 17, Desmond Ritter. What's the point of having a quarterback in fantasy if he's not going to throw the ball? Uh, this team is going to be very content just continuing to run. Desmond Ritter has, has a very low floor and zero upside in any game. Ignore. Round 18, Isaiah Likely. We were literally drafting Isaiah Likely for the situations when Mark Andrews is out. We expected him to move into a potential top five tight end situation, at least top at least top ten. The challenge is, is that we that was based off information of last year. That was based off them having virtually no wide receivers to compete against. That was based off before Todd Monken came in. We now need to reevaluate, and the new evaluation is if Mark Andrews is out. Well, Zay Flowers is still there. There's still Bateman. There's still Odell, but Zay Flowers is the clear first read target and uh Munkin for whatever reason he just doesn't want to use likely didn't use him much in that game so when our thesis is based off an injury and we got that thesis to play out and then the results were still poor unfortunate first round pick round 18 Isaiah likely okay that is all of that if you have any comments if you disagree with me go ahead there's a thread on twitter as well feel free to give your comments would love to hear them this is obviously just my take and it is all for a discussion but um I think it was a pretty fun exercise. And uh, I also on Twitter put out my top, my best round for each pick. A little less debatable because people are just happy when they see the players that they drafted on there. And now they're just patting themselves in the back when before they start fighting with me, it is what it is. I get it. It's all fun. Okay, moving on. Top three games to attack this weekend. Oof, I teased this one to begin with, but uh, Kansas City versus Jacksonville. Kansas City, three-point favorite, 51-point total. If there's a game that's going to be a shootout, I mean, this one looks to be it. I think that Mahomes and Kelsey are going to be the popular stack. We saw some video yesterday of Kelsey hopping around, having some fun at practice. We expect him to be back in this game. He was pretty close last week, it sounded like. Um, and if that's the case, Mahomes and Kelsey will be the popular stack. And on the other side, I think that uh, um, if you can, I mean, it's expensive, but Calvin Ridley is probably the most popular bring back. And then people will look for value elsewhere. Um, I believe that Christian Kirk will probably be the least popular bring back. And I think it's a Decent one for larger field GPPs because, all right, 
Christian Kirk only ran three routes, got one catch on, uh, only got three targets, got one catch for nine yards. Not good. He only was playing in the slot and they weren't running as many three wide receiver sets. Not good. The positives though are only three wide receivers, Ridley, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk actually got a target. And so I think that this still is a fairly concentrated offense and we're going to see spike weeks out of Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Calvin Ruth will will remain the alpha. I think that's pretty confident. But I'm expecting to see some big games as well between Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. So if you want to get a very low on Christian Kirk this week, no one wants to hit that button. I think it's a decent one. However, for me, I think the best bring back will be in Travis Etienne. Uh, My favorite thing bring back, if you, you know, I think a lot of people are still kind of in that best ball mind of, ah, well, you've got the Tank Bigsby aspect and like, um, you know, we, we're not sure about the goal and work and some routes and stuff, but like, nope, Bigsby, whether or not he's there, yes, he had that goal line carry last week, but from a receiving work, Travis Etienne looks to be the guy. He's getting those route runs up. He's getting the targets. Um, I think that he is probably the most exciting from a bring back standpoint. Could very much like he's going to have some huge games just being a part of this Jacksonville offense. And when he does, you're getting um, you're getting leverage off of those wide receivers. You're getting leverage off of Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence as well. Um, on the Kansas City side, I think Tony is the contrarian but high upside play. We talked about it earlier. He ran 24% of routes but got 14% of the targets. And obviously he looked so bad out there. But the targets were there on that few of routes at 24%. If we can increase that 24%, if we believe that 24% is low because of the injury that's coming off of, and that 14% can kind of stay even near sustainable, like that is a uh, that gives us strong target usage. And uh, no one is going to want to click that button on Kadarius Tony. So if you wanted to use that as a stack partner or a bring back to a Jacksonville, um, I think that's probably the contrarian high upside play. Let's move on to Cincinnati and Baltimore. Uh, this one, Cincy, three and a half point favorites, 46 and a half total. Um, might be a bit of a, like a sludge of a game. I mean, we know that, hey, in you know, divisional matchups between guys like Cincinnati and Baltimore, especially when it's colder weather, it turns into kind of just like, um, just, just turns into kind of in the trenches games. But I also think that because of these offenses, this possibly has the ability to turn them up, uh, turn into a substantial shootout. So I don't know how much people are going to want to wait, you know, to, to pay up, how much they're going to want to pay up for the Bengals with how bad they looked last week. There's the injury concerns for Burrow. I think the opportunity is to actually lean into that because, um, yeah, I think the opportunity is to lean into that because I don't think that people like are going to feel confident. Jamar Chase burned people in cash last week. T. Higgins had zero um, receptions last week. Joe Burrow, like, is that injury there? So I think people are going to want to fade that. But if you want to kind of go with the double stack, my favorite double stack for that is to go with a Cincy double stack and include Irv Smith. Both Chase and Higgins, they ran routes on 100% of snaps. We know what their roles are, but Irv also on 71% of snaps run, ran a route and still earned 17% of targets. So uh, I think that's where you can kind of cover this high volatile um, position and tight end, correlate it with your QB and go with the double stack, go with either Chase or Higgins and grab Irvin. And then on the other side, I would want to lean into Zay Flowers. The amount of design plays and first looks that he got was incredible. So I want to fade the Baltimore running backs. Um, I think like, even if you have a take that it's going to be Edwards, it's going to be Justice Hill. Um, I don't think that it's that valuable of a role when they're not passing catches and Lamar is still stealing goal line work. Um, so 
take the chalky play in Zay Flowers in my mind and then use the more contrarian side of it with that Joe Burrow, the double stack, but specifically with the Herb Smith. I think that gives you um, strong exposure to this game and how it can play out from if it turns into a shootout uh, while still doing it in a bit of a contrarian manner. And the third game, the last one that I think is a great one to attack is I'm going to go Detroit versus Seattle, but I'm going to um, I'm going to qualify this. I like the mini stacks from this game. Uh, specifically, Kenneth Walker and Amon Ra is my favorite. Not cheap, so you've got to figure out where the value is elsewhere. But I think like these offenses, those are going to be the most reliable on each side. If you need the savings, I'd probably stick with Kenneth Walker and I would drop down to Josh Reynolds if you need the savings on the other side. Uh, Josh Reynolds, kind of from a usage, was still looking pretty good in that game. Um, I think like he's one of those just underlooked, uh, he's just going to be an underlooked player for the next three games until like, or however many games it is until Jameson Williams comes back. Um, but I'm, you know, I think he still has like a downfield role. His A dot is pretty, is pretty legitimate, and they're going to need someone else in addition to Amon Ra to actually catch. From the Kenneth Walker side, he led the team in targets last week. Was, and I'm not expecting Charbonnet to increase that role immediately. I think this is still a situation where the public is lower on Walker than they should be because of that best ball mind where people were concerned during the offseason. Charbonnet is going to be a thorn. Charbonnet is going to play an increased role. Charbonnet is going to potentially steal goal line work, pass work, whatever it is. And that's still possible later on. And if you drafted Charbonnet in best ball, you did it for like the second half and that longer in those playoffs. But for right now, in a week two, in a DFS, I think we're a little too biased and we need to think like someone we're talking about the ETN, Walker is a great play. And leading the team in targets, like that is not expected. If he's going to have that role, he legit has like, you know, he, he legit has like top three running back upside. Um, if you're doing the mini stacks, that's the best way that I like to play it. Okay, let's go a little more now. We're going to talk a little about the Rainmaker strategy. Um, I think there's, you know, for the Rainmakers, a lot of the things I talk about from like game stacks and DFS, those all apply too, because when we're trying to just project outcomes and get a little contrarian, I think all that stuff still matters. So you can take that and kind of apply it. But also as I dive into my Rainmaker strategy, I'm trying to think through like, are there actually game elements that I can provide that I think are helpful? And for one, I think the biggest thing right now is to go buy a bunch of giants. After last week's game, their prices on average are down substantially. Some prices have legit cut in half. If you look at the averages, the core is down 20%. Rare cards are down 23%. That is, a, in my opinion, an overreaction to what we saw in the Dallas game. And I told you, like, I think Dallas, that defense is a top three defense. I think they're going to be one of the ones that matter. And they're, you know, just disrupted the offensive line. This week, they get Arizona. I mean, Giants, if there's ever a better, like, get right time, it is versus Arizona. So I think that's right. Um, if you want to use them this week, awesome, but that's not the thesis of this play, but it's the timing because I think you need to get them before the Arizona. The thesis of this play is that three of the next four games that they play are in prime time. This gives you the opportunity to play those when they're most valuable in those showdown slates. And, uh, you know, hey, if we have, you know, we, we love the showdown slates because it's a few, it's a smaller player pool. They're more valuable. If you want to sell into this, if you want to sell into the bump, you can do that. But I think also like there's a great opportunity to get whatever level you're playing at some cards that are kind of the Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton. I was getting for uh, a decent amount of those rares for $5, $6, because I think like there's some you know wide range of outcomes for the games for they're going to be playing. The three primetime games are against San Francisco, Buffalo, and the third one is Seattle. Yes. Okay. San Francisco, Buffalo, and Seattle. And so these wide receivers that, you know, 
if we're going to kind of go with the Daniel Jones, you want to pick one of the you know one of his pass catchers, Darren Waller's a little. He's a first of all, he's a bit more expensive. His price like two and a half x those other wide receivers, but also he's kind of hurt. And uh, he played 33 of the 35 snaps in the first half last week, then substantially played fewer when the game was kind of you know lost. But like they're also talking about lingering concerns with him um, with this injury. So I think there's some value in grabbing just as many of the Giants guys as you can start getting creative with lineups. You can do it at a value and know you've got three of the next four weeks to play them in those showdown slates. That's my kind of, uh, I think the edge there. Okay. That is all for today. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you got some value out of it. Everyone best of luck this weekend. Enjoy the games, setting your DFS, your, Whatever it is, hopefully all those the this, I don't know, DFS, sports betting, rainmakers, home league, so much is going on this time of year. Um, but best of luck to everyone. Um, I am going to sign up for now. And if you have a second, I'd really appreciate it if you could just give this a rating, leave a review for me. It really does help kind of spread this and bump it in the algorithm. So I really appreciate everyone who does that. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great rest of your day and weekend. Later, everyone. 